I'm going to be teaching from Psalms 1. So if you would, open your Bibles and go to Psalms 1. And I think you'll be able to right away see the parallel with that verse from Jeremiah 17. I'm going to open with the entire psalm, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. And today, as we look at it, we pray, Lord, for wisdom, guidance, discernment, conviction, Lord, that you would move in each of us individually, Lord, to wherever we might be in our walk. And Lord, speak to us, change us, conform us to the image of Jesus, we pray. We want to be a blessed man or a blessed woman. We want to be a blessed people. And today we want to understand what that looks like. So Lord, we'll go to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you blessed? That's the title of the sermon, Are You Blessed? And that's a question I want you to think about right now. You don't have to say anything out loud, but just think in your own mind, how would you answer that question, are you blessed? Next, why would you answer the way you answered? If you answered that you are blessed, why are you blessed? What are the things that come to mind? If you're not blessed, why are what are the things that come to mind in that case? Because there has to be one of the two. You either consider yourself blessed or not. A lot of times when we think of being blessed, we think of material things. We think I'm blessed because I have a nice house. I'm blessed because I have a nice job. I'm blessed because I have good family around me. My health is good. I'm blessed because everything's going my way. But that's not what we're going to see in the psalm today. In fact, we're not going to hear any mention of these kinds of things, if you will, that are on the outside of our lives, the things that are around us, the things that we might think of as important, the everyday enjoyments of life. But instead, we're going to look at something a little deeper as we dive in. And I love this psalm. In fact, this psalm is called like the gateway to the book of Psalms. It's Psalm number one. One guy says this psalm is what all the rest of the songs exposit. So it takes what this psalm is made out of, talking about the righteous man and the wicked or the wayward, and it tells you about their life and their destiny and all the rest of the psalms. And one way or another, we'll break that down. Whether it's talking about the wicked person or it's talking about the righteous person, it's talking about different aspects of their life or whatever it may be, they all exposit, explain, if you will, this one song. Psalm 1. It starts off 
with blessed is the man. Blessed is plural here. It carries the idea of favor and protection. It carries the idea of happiness. But what you have to understand is it's happiness that comes from God. It's to be in a good position with God. God placed you in a good position. God has favor over your life. That's going to bring joy, happiness, fulfillment. And that's a meaning as we start off with that word blessed. I want you to look at a few other Psalms that talk about the person who is blessed. Psalm 146. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Psalm 40. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So if you look at those three different verses, you can see right there that blessed is the one whose help is the Lord, who goes to the Lord for help, who trusts the Lord when things are difficult. I one lady said one time in a retirement home that I teach at, she says, before you pick up the phone, make sure you go to the throne. Right? Make sure you seek God first. Before you go get the counsel of people, make sure you're going directly to God because he is your help in the time of need. You also see that he's your hope in that same verse. That your hope is in God. Your hope is in the one that's unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your hope is based in Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And the promise of salvation, the promise of eternity with him. Your hope's not set on the things of the world because of the things of the world will let you down. They'll disappoint. Moth and rust destroy the things of the world. Some of those riches that I mentioned at the very beginning will do nothing but just fall apart. But God is always the same. Blessed is everyone who fears, reveres, holds God, God in his rightful place keeps him on his throne, sees him for who he is, holy, set apart, the creator of all things. And that fear is a reverence, understanding who we are, his creation, and he is the creator. That we never raise ourselves up somehow to be even with him or make ourselves God to be above him and it's all about us, but no, in the rightful place. Created beings before a holy and righteous God. That fear, you see it in scriptures, when someone would be faced with God, they would fall on their face as a dead man. Isaiah would say, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. I don't know what we would do if we walked out those doors and the glory of God was right outside in the lobby. We would all just fall on our faces. And that's that reverence, that fear. And then the, between the two last Psalms, it says, the one that doesn't turn to the proud. And then the last one, who walks in his ways. Not turning to the world, to the, to the people that don't follow God, to the proud, the proud that are proud in their own eyes, but walking in his way. Living the life God calls you to live. Walking in a way that's worthy of the call that he placed on your life. The last one, Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Well, I got to tell you, this is it. This is it. If life's going bad, if you're struggling with something right now, blessed are you if you've been forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sins have been covered. Blessed are the ones who taste salvation, who understand who Jesus is, who repent and turn from their old ways and turn to him as Lord and Savior. Blessed is that one. Blessed. We're starting off with such a deep understanding of the blessed man. He's a man that hopes in God. He's a man that understands God's forgiveness. He's a, a man that his help is in God. When things are difficult, everything he is is based on this reality of who God is in his life. That person is blessed. We look at the things that the blessed man does not do first. It says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I want you to understand that's a downward spiral, right? At first he's just walking along and then, then he'll stop and then he'll actually sit, he'll take his place. At first it's with the wicked, which means just those that don't know God, that aren't of God, not God's people. Remember the Bible, you're either wicked or you're righteous. You're of God's family or you're outside of God's family. If you're outside of God's family, you're in that camp with the wicked. Satan is running wild in the world. If you're not listening to God's word, guess what? You're listening to Satan's lies. You have the wicked. You have the sinners, those that stay in their sin, those that are habitually sinning. That's a part of their life. It marks who they are. If you were to look at them, you'd say, oh, yeah, that's that person that does such and such. And then the scoffers, the ones that blatantly speak out about God. We start with the first one, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The wicked is not concerned with the things of God because he's not a child of God. He doesn't think about salvation. He doesn't think about hope in Christ. He doesn't think about reading God's word. He doesn't think about prayer. Those things are foolishness to him. He's blind to spiritual things. That is the wicked man. And to take counsel from such a one who's not walking with God, and yet you're walking with God, the blessed person would be silly. It'd be foolishness. You'd be taking the counsel of the world. You'd be listening to the, to the words of a fool. Blessed is one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Do everything you can to flee from it. Natural man or the wicked man advice might be something like this. If it feels good, do it. If it's not hurting anyone, don't worry about it. Hey, do whatever makes you happy. 
Gather everything you can for yourself. It's all about you. You're number one. That's the message of the world, those that don't walk with the Lord. Those that walk with the Lord say everything's about him. Paul says, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. Amen. Do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. This word stands, two words come out of it. One in Hebrew and one in Latin. And one means column. From that verb, they get the word column or statue. And in both cases, it's a fixed item. It's something that you put in its place there, and it kind of takes its place. And that's the idea. He doesn't stand with the sinners. He doesn't, remember, at first he's walking around, and he's just not taking counsel. But then all of a sudden, he finds his place, and he stands. He's part of that group. The blessed man doesn't do that. Remember, these people are identified by their sin. The blessed man doesn't go in there and get identified with those people, with that sin. That's repetitive and ongoing. Listen to me. What I'm not saying is that we don't witness to the lost. I'm not saying that at all. That's not what this text is saying at all. Of course, we're called to be the salt and the light in a dying world. We're supposed to call people to Jesus. That's what we do because we have the best news ever. We have the message of the gospel and we take that message out and we bring it to a dying world, a world that doesn't know Christ. And we say, listen, this is the truth of the gospel. What he is talking about is when you're going in there and all of a sudden you're making your place along with them. You're in a dangerous place. I think of it like this. If, if I can go and have influence on someone and they're listening to me and allowing me to share without constantly pressing me back, then you better believe I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep witnessing to that person over and over again. I'm going to make every effort I can, as long as they open that door and they keep the door open. But this isn't that. This is sinners. You're making a place in these people that habitually sin, and they're not changing at all, and nothing, nothing Nothing seems to be working. I have a friend of mine from many years back. I knew him before I became a believer. And uh, then I came to the Lord and I ended up working in the same place that he worked at. We kept in contact through the years. And I would show up and now I'm a Christian and he would find all different names to call me as a Christian. One of them was Bible Boy. He would always call me Bible Boy as I came into work. And it was a negative sense for him, by the way. But that was one of the names that he'd give me. And there was always ribbing and there was always talking and something would come up on the news about the church or something going on and he'd want to just lay that on top of me and make me feel it or own it. And I'm like, ah, oh, but that's, you know, that's, you're taking the story wrong and what's going on. But it didn't matter. He just wanted to do that always. I remember one time we went out to lunch and we're sitting eating a meal together and he was just swearing and swearing and swearing. You know, they have these out in the valley and they have these magazines that tell you like a LA Weekly or something that tells you everything that's going on. And he would pick the bad articles and that's the one he'd want to sit down and start talking about. And it was just kind of obnoxious. And the point of his swearing over and over again, there was actually a lady sitting close to us with her child. And I'm like, stop doing that. But when I'd say stop doing that, he'd just do it more and more. 
You see, he was blind to the truth, so it didn't matter. All that stuff was foolishness to him. So him sitting with me, it's logical in his mind. He wants to give me a hard time because he doesn't believe in any of that. I remember going home and I talked to my wife and I said, you know what, I don't know that I'm able to go out with him again. I mean, this is what happened. He's swearing and he's using these words and bad words and there's a kid and the mom right in back of us and it's like, and she's looking at me and him and now we're associated together, mind you, because I'm standing there right with him. So that kind of tars my testimony, and it's not doing any good. Because if I ask him to stop, he just does it more. If I confront him on something he's saying, it just brings up more ammunition. I had to make a choice. Which brings us to the next, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers are the ones, again, that shake their fist at God. They want nothing to do with anything that's sacred. They want nothing to do with the things of God. They'll talk against them. They'll belittle them. They're at enmity with the things of God. Look at Proverbs 4, 16. Again, completing the proverb that we already started, the very next verse in there. It says, For they cannot sleep, speaking of the wicked... They cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. No, takes place in the seat of scoffers. I thought about how to explain this, and I thought, think about a jury, right? So you go to a courtroom, and you have the jury box, and in the jury box, there's 12 seats. And who sits in those 12 seats? The jury, right? So basically, if there's a trial going on and you take one of those seats, it's because you're one of the jurors. And the warning here is don't take the seat, the place of. Don't identify yourself as. When Jesus referred to this, he said that the Pharisees and the scribes take the seat of Moses. He was referring to that they teach the law that Moses used to taught. They're taking the place. They're sitting in Moses' seat. You get that? So it's this position, if you will, of someone that teaches authority, pressing out information. It's an identified seat. I thought of like a director's chair, right? If you were to go on a movie set, if you stumble in, all of a sudden you see this chair, and right on the back of it's a director. Who do you expect to be sitting in that chair if the the movie's like being recorded and everything's going on, it would be the director, right? The blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't find himself in those places. Now, again, he may temporarily be in there. He may be passing through. He may be witnessing. He may be sitting alongside to give them the truth of the gospel, to try to lead them to truth, to save them from destruction. But he's not identified with them. He doesn't stand and share in their wrongdoings or sit and actually take over and participate, if you will, in it. 
what would it have been like if I'm sitting with my friend and all of a sudden he's starting to talk bad about the Lord and like all these degrading ways, which he would do, by the way. One time I went in his office at work and he said, um, yeah, if Jesus was here, I would have him down there washing my truck. Again, tried to get under my skin. This true. But there's good news to the story of my friend. Because one day I was sitting at work and I got an email. And the email stated something like this. I actually kept it. I still have it. But it said something like this. I don't know if you've talked to this person lately. But he accepted the Lord. I was out with them last night. They were out at an event. They came out of the event. And he just started bawling. And my friend, the mutual friend between us, said, I just prayed with him, and this is what happened. Let me tell you, when I read the email, I started going halfway down. I got up and walked off because I thought it was just going to be a joke. Somehow he's going to rid me. Somehow he's going to come in, and something's going to be different. But when I came back in my office and I finished it, it wasn't. I set up a meeting with him to have lunch with him right after I heard this news. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But let's move on in the psalm. So what the blessed man doesn't do, he doesn't hang around with this kind of company because he understands, as it says in Corinthians, that bad company ruins good morals. He understands that he can't be around it too much or it's going to actually ruin his witness or it's going to drag him in and lure him in. So he starts hanging around more and maybe get to the place where he's speaking like them. So that's what he doesn't do. And some of you in here say, might say, well, that's great because I don't do those things. That's not me. So in a negative sense, I, I'm blessed. Are you blessed? Yeah, I'm that blessed person because I don't hang around with those groups of people. But it doesn't end there. Now we're going to go on the positive side of this blessed man. But this blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates Day and night. That's so just totally beautiful, isn't it? He delights. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? If you're married, do you remember delighting with your spouse? Maybe today you're delighting with them. Maybe you're not. Maybe for you, you have to go all the way back to when you were courting, that time before you got married, when you were dating and courting one another. I want you to picture that. Go back to that time. Do you remember that you hung on every word that that person said, that you wanted nothing more than to talk to them? You remember you'd be on the phone with them, and you're like, okay, I got to go now. Uh, all right, okay, bye. We'll hang up. No, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, really, you hang up. I'm going to hang up now. You hang up. Remember? You just couldn't get enough. You wanted to know more and more about that person. You would find yourself showing up at places you knew they were going to be. Right? You hear they're going to be at Thrifty's getting an ice cream, and maybe you just wander over there, and you'd show up. Oh, fancy seeing you here. Right? Just happened I was getting an ice cream, too. The delight in just being with that person, hanging out with that person. Yesterday, my wife and I, we took a walk together. We love taking walks together. We delight in walking and talking. We ended up at a little breakfast place. We sat at a little table and just share back and forth on what's going on. 
Talk about upcoming plans. Talk about what's going on in the family. We delight in one another. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? Do you spend time reading it? Just allowing it to to saturate your mind, to get down in your heart, to actually change the way you think and the way you act. Do you take time to meditate as he says? And on the law, he meditates day and night. That means read it during the day, think about it or ponder it at night. That word meditate, it's on the law of the Lord. He meditates on the very words that he reads. You know, these days, some people have a weird thought about meditation. You're supposed to empty your mind and you're, you're supposed to be completely empty so that how, somehow you can connect with a deity. And that's Middle Eastern mysticism, by the way. That's definitely not what he's talking about in this psalm. In this psalm, he says he loves the law of the Lord and he meditates on his law day and night. He plants it deep into his heart. He thinks about it. He chews on it. He puts it to the grid of the reality that's happening all around him. The law of the Lord is precious to him, important to him. It holds weight with him. I had a memorial yesterday, last night in the afternoon. And it was for a young man that ended up dying. It was kind of a surprise to the family. The sister asked me to do the memorial service. And when she first asked me about it, her big question was, why? Why him? Why now? Why in this circumstance? Why was his life the way it was? She's a newer believer, and she's reading the word and trying to find answers, praise the Lord, in God's word. But they're not always easy. But they're there. Well, why? Why don't I understand what's going on? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. The secret things belong to the Lord. We don't always understand what happens, but we do know the Lord's always with us. Two chapters over, Deuteronomy 31. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. We also know that sin came into the world. And sin kind of messes everything up. That's why you have this group of these three different people that are being called out in this text, right? The wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, they're being called up out because of sin and sin in the world. It's destructive. The waves of sin started in Genesis 3 and they'll continue until Jesus comes back to make everything right. And we can be sure of that. So we know there's sin in the world and that's part of the problem what's going on with his whole situation, We know that Jesus is faithful. We know that God had a plan to send his only son, that God so loved the world that he'd send his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know that to be true. So admits the sin that's going on and affects everybody and everything in some way or another, either directly or indirectly. It could be your sin. It could be someone else's sin. But the ramifications are like waves on the water. But the good news is God was going to do something about it. He was going to send his son. And his son, his son would feel the effects of that sin, wouldn't he? 
as people scoffed at him, falsely accused him, put that crown of thorns on his head, nail him to a cross, yell out from the crowds, crucify him, crucify him. He felt the ramifications of that same sin. But he beat death. He rose again. He paid the price. And that all is in this book. You know, when the psalmist wrote this, he only had the first five books. He probably had only the Pentateuch, which is the law of Moses. And yet he delighted in the word, right? We have the entire Bible. The canonization of the Bible has been closed. And we know all the way until Christ returns. The end of the story and makes everything right. We know about this heaven where there's going to be no more sin, no more pain, and everything's made right. Do you delight in God's word? The blessed does. The blessed man, the blessed woman, delights in the word of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Psalm 112 says this, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. In 1 Peter, we see a new conversion, a new believer. And look what it says about the new believer. Like a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Indeed, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's this earnestness there's this desire just to get more and more like a newborn infant craves milk so does a newborn spiritual man or woman crave the word of God just wants more and more of it so they can grow in their knowledge of who God is so I met with my friend again and we're we're again could have been breakfast but we're eating across the table from each other and he says to me I just can't get enough of the word of God He says, it's so crazy when I read God's word, it's like it's alive. Every time I read it, it has something to do with my life and what's going on. It's the craziest thing. He said, I'm going to read that Bible all the way through from the front to the end. And he says, and I'm not going to join any studies or anything until I get all the way to the end. Because I want to read it all for myself. And that's exactly what he did continued reading and studying and loving the word of God. What a praise to God's goodness. Now the wicked person, they don't like the word of God, right? Look what it says in Romans 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh, meaning the things of the world, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot It's blind to spiritual things. This book is an offense to their lives. That's the difference, the contrast between the wicked, which again is all three of that group. The wicked, the sinner, and the one that goes out and um, speaks out against the word of God. They can't love God's word. So do you love God's word? Are you blessed? Do you enjoy fellowship in God's word? Unlike those that don't know God, the wicked, the sinner, and the scoffer.
He goes on and he gives this description, which again matches up with Jeremiah. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. I love this because this tree is planted. It's not a tree that just grows out of happenstance. It's not a tree that just shows up somewhere, but it's actually a tree that's been cared for and planted somewhere. And not just anywhere, but it's planted by streams of water, the life source for that tree. In this day when this was written, they'd understand that because they would cultivate, they would make these canals in the, in the land and they would fill them with water and the water would run through it and they purposely plant trees so the trees could feed from that canal. So this would be something in their minds they could actually envision. And what the psalmist is saying is that's the blessed man. The blessed man is like that tree. He feeds off the word of God. He's connected to the word of God. He meditates on the word of God. He loves the word of God. I want to put Jeremiah up there. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. I get two things out of this passage. The first thing I see is the roots that go out. This yielding fruit in its season that's talked about in Psalm 1 that always bears fruit in Jeremiah. I see it that in good times he draws from God's word and he praises God. (coughs) In trials that go on in his life, he remembers God's promises. When others suffer, he reminds them of God's promises. When life is difficult or something comes up and they feel a little anxious or maybe depressed or withdrawn or anything else, they draw from God's word. I look at that stream, right, that canal filled with water, and I just see what it does to the tree. If you watch that tree and you were to go back and check on it like once a year, you would actually see the growth in it, wouldn't you? The trunk would be thicker and it'd be stronger, standing firm, no matter what beats against it. Its roots are firmly fastened because it's planted in the right spot. It doesn't matter the heat that comes down on it. It doesn't matter the trials of life, which are exactly what he's talking about when he talks about heat and drought. Because he's resting in God's word and God's promises. And even though the secret things belong to the Lord, he can rest in God is in control ultimately. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He said he'll be with me until the very end of the age. And I can stand on that promise. I can send out my roots and just continue to feed. And no matter what happens in my life around me, my leaves remain green. It's it's amazing, really. It's an evergreen that bears fruit. I don't know if we have those out here. But that's the blessed. An evergreen that bears fruit in its season. Again, that fruit during sorrow might look a lot different than it is in joy. When times are difficult, 
or when times are good. But in all times, he's feeding from the word of God and the promises of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? My friend, in that last meal we were meeting, and he's, I had heard that there were pretty major things going on in his life. His wife had lost a child during her pregnancy, and his mom had been diagnosed with cancer. He was a new believer, and I'm honestly going to tell you I was really worried about his faith. I'm like, how's he going to handle this? I mean, he comes to the Lord, and all of a sudden, this storm just starts beating down on him. So as we're sitting at that meal, I asked him, I said, so how are you doing? He says, I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. I said, but how are you dealing with all the, the stuff that's going on in your life, the difficulties and the trials? He says, hey, that's the world we live in. He says, it's not going to push me away from God. Can you imagine? A new believer, someone that was so delighting in the word of God, that desire was so strong. He was being fed. His tree was so healthy, right? That when the drought and the storm was beaten on him, he was still sitting there with the leaves green. Doesn't mean he wasn't sad. It doesn't mean that he didn't mourn. It doesn't mean that it wasn't difficult for him. But God was still God. And God was still sitting on his throne. And that's where his hope was. That's where his trust was. That's where his help was. I left that meeting a different man. I mean, the faith of this new believer, right? The faith of one that's just coming to the Lord and how passionate he was. It did a lot for my faith. Now we go into the transition. Verse 4, the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The idea of this chaff, during the day they would get all the grain and they put all the grain on the threshing floor, right? So it would all be there on this stone floor and then they'd bring in the oxen and the oxen would walk all over the grain. And what the oxen were doing was separating the chaff and the grain. And then they would take a winnowing fork. And the winnowing fork's like a pitchfork that you would see on TV. And they take it and they throw it up in the air. And as they throw it up in the air, the chaff and the useless particles would all be blown away with the wind, but the grain would land back on the floor. And that's how they used to separate. I, uh, I have a little hobby at home. And my hobby is uh, roasting coffee, right? So I roasted some coffee last night because when I roast coffee, I get a lot of chaff. And I thought, well, it'd be kind of cool to look at chaff here and see what they're actually talking about. <laughs> no substance. Kind of without substance. Dead. No worth. This stuff, when I, when I make a batch of coffee, it actually follows me in the house just by my own wind, right? I walk in the door, and the wind in back of me kind of shuffles it in, and it's just scattering all over the place. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff. They're this piece that comes off 
the actual thing that was good and is just blown away. John the Baptist in the book of Matthew says this. Speaking of Jesus, his, the Lord, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. Dead, no worth, without substance, easily carried away. It's all descriptions of the chaff. And they're using chaff to describe the wicked. That's hard. Because don't you know people who don't know the Lord that would fall in that category? And as we talk about that, that they're going to be carried away into complete destruction, like this chaff just blown. Doesn't that concern you? He says the wicked will not stand in judgment. They will not have a word to say. They will have no defense. They will just be carried off. Sure, they'll go to judgment, but they won't be able to stand in their guilt. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, right now, we have a mix. We have people who know the Lord, who believe in the Lord, and we all gather together, and some are here just coming to hear about the Lord. Some of us have been with the Lord, walking with the Lord for many years, and, and faithful to the Lord, and, and blessed by the things that I'm saying, but we have a mixed crowd. Anytime you have a church or a big gathering, you have the mixed crowd. But he's saying sinners won't stand in the congregation of the righteous, meaning in the future. In the future, there's going to be this separation and the chaff are going to be blown away. And they're going to be ushered off into destruction. The righteous will go and spend eternity with God in heaven. And a beautiful place that's going to be. But the wicked are not so. And I don't say that with any pride in my heart. That's a very difficult concept for us. It means that we have to be purposeful when we're with the people, but we don't give in to their ways, but we have to be purposeful because we know their end. It's clear. We have to do everything we can to share the gospel in a way and ask the Lord to open their ears and their eyes that somehow the Lord will use us to bring them to salvation in that process. That we be tools in the Lord's hand. We know only the Lord can change a heart, right? He takes out the heart of stone and he replaces it with the heart of flesh. But it's his word. That's why his word says, sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. That's why we stay in the word so we know the word. So when we're amongst them, we're preaching the word. And as the word comes out, we pray that God would use that to convict them so they would leave that wickedness and come into salvation. If you haven't heard the way to salvation, it's what I've been talking about. That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
that God loved you so much that the word says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He came to a world that he knew was going to be against him. He felt those ramifications of the sin, but he walked all the way to the cross because he had something that he was going to do and he was going to conquer sin. He was going to make a way, a pathway for you and I to get to God. We couldn't do it on our own. There was no works that we could ever do. We could never be righteous enough. There had to be a perfect sacrifice, and that perfect sacrifice was Christ. He was the only one that would satisfy sin. So he took the wrath. He died on the cross. The good news is he rose again, and right now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's just a matter of turning from the ways that are against God, turning away from the wickedness, getting rid of that, repenting is what it's called, and then turning back to God. God, forgive me for my sins. Thank you for your grace. Forgive me for my unrighteousness. I put that aside because I want to follow you, Jesus, as Savior and as Lord. That term Lord means he now controls your life. He is a good Lord and a good King. There is none better. He holds all things together. He sustains all things. Who else would you want to serve? It's exactly what his disciples say. Where else would we go, Lord? That's the good news that we have to get out, understanding the way, the path that those that don't know the Lord are headed. The last part he says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He knows your way because if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He knows your way because he lays out good works before you that you may walk in them. He knows your way because Jesus in the Good Commission or the Great Commission, he says, I will be with you always until the very end of the age. He knows the paths that you'll be taking. And get this, there's comfort. That means he knows the hardships that you're suffering as well. He knows everything. Take some time today. Read Psalm 139. It will bless you. He knows the words before they come out of your mouth. He knows the days that are ordained for you. He knew you when you were knitted together in the dark and secret places. He knows everything about you. But the way of the wicked will perish. He knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will be destroyed. It's sad because it's their way that gets destroyed. It's not just them themselves, but everything they've ever done, chaff. I want to end. I'll ask Travis to come back up, but I want to end with a passage that I preached on the very first time I preached here at Cornerstone was Matthew 7. And I want to put that up on the screen, a portion of that passage. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, says this. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. The way of the wicked will perish. But the ones that he says, come on in to my blessedness. That is the blessed man, the blessed woman. Let's pray. So, Father God, we thank you for your word today. There is so much wrapped up in this psalm. Boy, does every time I go through it, there's new, new thoughts and provokes conviction and encouragement. And I've got to be honest, fear. Fear for those I know that don't know you. Fears for the people that are on that path to destruction. Lord, I didn't read it, but in chapter 7 it says many Many are on that path. We want to be a church, Lord, that loves your word, that loves you, that understands Jesus. We're blessed because our sins have been covered. Enough said. There's nothing else we need. You call us to this walk of life and you, you give us the best news in the universe and you say, share this now with others. Lord, I pray that for our church, for us as a people, that we would be that people. We'd be careful, Lord. We'd be careful not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. not to stand in the way of sinners and not to sit in the seat of scoffers. The Lord, we'll make every attempt to share your good news when we're around people. And our prayer right now is that many would come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, the King of kings, kings and the Lord of lords. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.